Hello, it's Jeff. Just before we get to the show, just a friendly reminder to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it's downloaded and ready to go. This is the Records and Rockstars radio podcast with Jeff Woods. A lot of people don't realize that during the first era of their existence, there was no band more adept and highly regarded in England for their blues chops than Fleetwood Mac critical acclaim, but beyond that, they weren't destined to become a household name, were it not for the addition to the lineup in 1975 of a couple of Americans. Mick Fleetwood wanted Buckingham in the band, but Lindsay made it clear to him that Mick would have to welcome in the guitarist's girlfriend, too. What a problem to have. More than half the songs on the self-titled Fleetwood Mac album in which they would first appear were written by Buckingham and Nick's. Two years later, their value to the band was once again clear and immense with the release of Rumors. I remember picking up my first copy in a Rochester, New York record store, taking it home and falling just as much in love with the back cover photo of Stevie as I did the music. 26 years later, March 2003, at a movie lot inside a very big building in one of a maze of rooms. If I'm tall at six feet, then Mick Fleetwood is a giant. A gentle giant. And after touring the better part of his then 55 years, he looked positively cool, calm, and relaxed. You look well. Thank you. Spend 30 years listening to do music, and there's always that trepidation of, what's the man really going to be like? <laughs> and, uh, He's a shadow. <laughs> uh, we're all but doing good. You're in good spirits? Yeah, we're excited. You know, it's just, it's hard work. You know, you can never time when you're supposed to hand the album in at some point you have to say okay the management saying when are we going to start the tour and then you have to give them because they got to plan it all out and then we never finish when we think we're going to finish so we never get the window worked out right so we're sort of a bit beaten up right now getting everything done obviously meeting people like yourself and and doing what is important because you know we work so hard on the album you can't just dump it, you know. So it's all part of... But our main preoccupation is rehearsing the show. We saw your equipment set up uh, on the soundstage. Is that the typical routine? Come to a soundstage and, and set everything up? and spell? Yeah, it, um, we're electing to go to a, a bigger room. We don't necessarily have quite as big a room, but we figured we should be well on a stage that can represent what we're going to do quite often years gone by we start off with somewhere about half that size and just flush out what songs we're going to do and jam around and play a bit but we're sort of from the last tour to this tour we're doing it like this which actually is a better idea because you get you get the feel that this is showtime and this is where you're going to be this is where you are positioned on the stage and then we'll we'll move it up to a, a place about twice the size of that in this complex with full lights, full production, full stage, as it would be in concert. We're hoping that things go well and the album is received well. And even, you know, I suppose even if the album's a complete flop, <laughs> we're, we're lucky that we're getting really a lot of lights are coming on with people uh, saying that they want to book the band. John McVie has in past described the chemistry of the musicianship in the band as being unpretentious and honest. 
Pick, pick two other words, two or three other words that would that would accurately assess the situation uh, today. Well, uh, wow, it's weird uh, trying to talk about yourself or the band you're in, in in with that in mind. What what do I think the band is all about? What it represents at this point in time, in terms of the relationship you have as, as players in the band, not necessarily personal relationships, but the interpersonal relationships of musicians working together. What it f- feels like to me is 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 when we convene to do things such as go on the road, which is after we've been in the studio for you know, a year and a half doing stuff with the album and that. So it's not like we haven't seen each other really quite a lot. And but this the road thing is represents really the end result of. You know, for me and John, it represents 35 and plus years of playing together. And it's really all about, at this point in our lives, just, I think, falling into what I would consider it's acknowledging that style of what we have as players uh, and, and as, of course, as people. But now it's about playing. It's about doing what all of us have learnt to do singing, playing for really our whole adult life and all of the micro thinking that is involved in making an album and intellectualised things and, and do we do or don't we do tends to fall away and it just comes back to really what we're all about is walking on a stage and doing what we've learnt to do as, as our craft as that's how we make our living the fact that we've been incredibly fortunate and worked hard but been fortunate I think certainly speaking for myself this is what I wanted to do when I was like 12 11 years old and I'm doing it still and Stevie dreamt of doing it and Lindsay we were all very much this wasn't like something that just sort of happened it's something that I think all of us have really worked at before Fleetwood Mac even, you know. And that's what walks on and that, that's what I'm identifying with is that the essence of what it was when we started out as youngsters is still there. So I would say a long-winded way, it's identifying with actually a form of, of innocence that still exists in that child part of of who we are as players is is really all of the fame all of the stuff that comes with it the end result is it's about this little person that's still living out a dream of what we really wanted to be doing you know and that's for me is great because i i do lots of other things and you know entrepreneurial things here and there but the bottom line is this is really what I do. The, the great thing about that answer is that it, it goes back to exactly what John said, uh, honest and unpretentious. That's what you do. I think we're amazingly unblase about... I mean, we still get nervous. Stevie gets nervous about doing what we're doing. and uh, Is it going to be right? Is it going to be this? It is amazing because you'd think we'd all be slick and sort of smooth and we're not. We're actually... It's it's still a trip, you know, and I think that that's a good thing because it keeps you on your toes and you have a, a more of a a little edge really because if you get all complacent and yeah, it's just whatever, you know, we're all 
wondering, still wondering about, you know, things and wondering if we're playing well enough and this and that. And I even get up on the drums sometimes and I, I convince myself that, you know, songs I've been playing for like, <laughs> for like a long time are going like, what was it I used to do? And I think, oh God, I get all insecure about stuff, you know listening to tapes and say oh that was what I was doing yeah. that reminds me years ago of an interview that uh, was conducted with Lindsay and he talked about how you were all about um, just gut reaction and feel uh, less than calculation you were you were about the moment and and you would come up with great things that you'd have to go back and and precisely what did I do I, I, I don't know really what I do so it was just part part of what I've become and and, and John as a rhythm section you know, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm making light of it, but the reality is, it's that's what it feels like. I'm I'm unaware of the fact that I I sort of do th- things. I'm I'm sure, obviously, when I play songs that we've played for years and years and years, but it feels I never fully know. I mean, I still don't know what a verse or a chorus is or whatever. It's just it's coming at me. I'm listening to the vocals and listening to the dynamics of the song. And every time I do it, I get a, f- a new free expression of doing it because I don't retain anything. So it's like, it's like a weird equation that works out great for me and, and it does seemingly end up uh, having the likes of someone like Lindsay and people that relate to my playing. They say, well, whatever it is, is it's, it's sort of just a thing now. And, and John and I, John follows me my bass drum and stuff like that which is not doesn't conform to really any patterns I change the beat round just without realising I'm changing but John's right there and it's become part of our style you know that's 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 the style of of Fleetwood Mac's rhythm section which has been there from the beginning mm-hmm. what song on the album are you most uh, proud of now that you've got it oh, before you it's gotta be one you mean out of the 18 songs yeah <laughs> I like so many of the songs, and you know, I I, I love Illume. I think it's it's going to be a hidden classic because I think Stevie's vocal on it is is exceptionally cool. In the same way as you know, for me, it's something. I don't think she realizes how cool it is. I relate to it from timing and from rhythm and the phrasing and stuff. And it's sometimes when you listen to Bob Dylan, for instance, you know. And people say, oh, yeah, you got a whiny voice and does this, that, and the other. But the, but the true, rea- in my opinion, the true reality of Bob Dylan is, if you listen to, to his, his, when I listen to his vocals, I'm hearing someone who is so unbelievably putting it in the place where it, it, it has to be and only, only peculiar to his talents of, of how he phrases and how he delivers his vocals, I think uh, is incredible. And Stevie's hit, those highlights on this particular song in my opinion the whole thing is very a very simple track and it's just like a, a rhythmic ambiance that just is is a bed purely for her voice you know it's not all wild harmony things it's about that lead vocal which I, I love uh, and I love uh, another song of uh, Lindsay's just because uh, I had a ball playing playing uh, drums and and I know we're pretty much sure we're doing it on stage. So uh, there's a, a song called "Come," which is like major drum fest, you know, wild maniac uh, drumming, uh, which I really enjoyed. And and it, 
and it represents something unsafe about the album, and I, uh, which Lindsay pushed for very strongly, to his credit, really. It represents that a pinnacle type of, of, of approach to making making sure that wasn't we're not just treading the same water. And it's a great it's a great song. It's a, it's a, it's a power trio sort of approach that that John and and Lindsay and myself. You know, with the, the absence of Christine, that's the sort of thing that came out of the fact that Christine isn't on this album and is no longer with Fleetwood Mac. The the pluses of it, once you say, well, that's sad, she's moved on, but she's doing what she needs to do. We then got into a whole thing where these whole musical events that have, whether people, we hope people like it, but for us it was very positive that it, it drove elements of pushing that we may not have done with Chris in the band. I don't know. You know, you never really know. But The dynamic change. You took something away, therefore something sure. was allowed to come in. I like Lindsay says, I forget the, the equation, but we've, we've all got 33% more stuff that we can do because she's not there. She, her songs aren't there and her performance isn't there. So we have, or the three of us certainly as players, more stage to perform in, you know, in, in a way, creatively. And she's doing what? Chris is, uh, I suppose one basically says she's retired, you know, from the music business. Uh, she lives in England and sadly don't get to see too much of her, although I spent some time a couple of years ago and I saw a lot of her. She's happily not doing what we're doing. <laughs> and she is, she's done some uh, writing where she thought she wasn't going to do anything at all. She said, I don't want to ever see a piano again. I don't want to see an aeroplane again. I don't want to do anything again. I hate show business. And that was that, you know. So she's certainly come to enjoy writing and recording. We've heard stuff she sent us. And, and she has about 20 songs that she's kicking around and working on and having fun doing that. I don't think it's going to specifically lead to... I hope it gets released at some point. But I don't think she'll go and do what we're doing now and talk to people. She has no interest at all at the moment. Long ago, you noted that one of the best forms of education was, was travel. In the last, say, two years, what's the most compelling place you've been? Hawaii. I go back there to lick my wounds, always have. Uh, and I'm lucky enough that I have a home there, which is really what I consider my home, more than my home here. In L.A.? Yes. Um, what island in Hawaii? Maui. And that has always been, for many, many, many years, somewhere where I've gone, whether with family or without family, that place was the place that I sobered up. So I, I, <laughs> I have a full respect for, for the Hawaiian islands. I feel very different there. And, and, it, and not to be a, a salesman, but it, it is truly magical to me. Even seeing over the last nearly 28 years or so of, of being there on and off, more off than on, but when I first went to Maui, it was very different and, and it's, it still doesn't get ruined to me, the fact that the tourist thing has been punched up considerably and stuff. It's still just a beautiful, beautiful place. And that's my best piece of travel and this time for me it was great because I took my two new one year old daughters where they were about eight months old when we went went there last time 
and that was really cool I had Christmas there it's a special place for me me too I love it there Walter Becker lives there too have you That's ever right. run into Walter Willie Nelson a whole bunch of people oh a lot of people sure in 98 the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame what did it mean to you to be inducted into the oh, Hall of Fame oh great I'm just glad we got in there before we died <laughs> uh, it's a compliment very exciting sadly my, my only downside which is you know a drag the, the, the thing they give you one way or another it was misplaced or whatever and no way on earth can I get anything that tells me I'm in the Rock of Hall, Hall of Fame is that unbelievable <laughs> I'm going I want it on the mantelpiece and they won't reproduce the piece of glass or whatever it is we got so I don't have anything, not even a piece of paper that says that I'm in the Rock of Roll Hall of Fame, which is, and I've tried, I've even asked the, the, the real people, I said, you got to give me something. And they won't. They absolutely won't do it. They won't reproduce whatever it is that I, that I want. So that's a, the comedic sad part. The upside is, is that it is an honor, and it's, uh, it was great to see for me and, and for John that started with Fleetwood Mac so many years ago that not only obviously the rumours incarnation was very much a part of probably a major reason why we got in there but they did acknowledge the fact that the band started many years before that with Peter Green and and people who who have been involved in in the legacy of Fleetwood Mac and that was very important for me to see because that's been my life you know keeping the the stage open for all these different people that have come in and out of, of this band. So it's been it was it's a great way of putting an identity tag on the fact that all through those changes this band has survived and somehow got looked at as a whole. You know, the story of Fleetwood Mac. Finish these for me, if you could, with, with some sort of top of mind honesty. The most pleasure I derive in a typical day comes from being with my children. If my house were, God forbid, burning down, and aside from human life, what's the one possession McFleetwood would have to take out with him? Uh, knowing me, I'd probably grab my wooden balls that I've always played on stage with, and they're in my drawer right next to my bed. Don't leave without your balls. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to start over again, other than being a musician, what career would I choose? I would have liked to have been an actor. You have acted, though. Yeah, but I don't know how to act. I, 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 I like the thought. It's not a, not as easy as everyone thinks, uh, but it's something that I would have attempted to do. I, I, I could, I, if I'd studied it and, and done it properly, my personality, I think, would have really enjoyed that. Anything on the horizon that you think you might tap into from, in the acting world? You, 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 would you like to do something again? The bits and pieces that I've done... And I could have done actually a lot more. I, because of my lack of training and the academics of line learning and stuff is so traumatic for me. It's not getting in front of a camera. It's just like doing it right and being, being, having a system. And I don't have that system. It will I pro probably, I, I'll be fool enough to do some little bit part just to, to do something kooky, but the reality is I'm sort of frightened of it because I don't have those chops that I, I want to have, which is literally the academics of, of learning 
which is part of the whole drum conversation. I don't know what I'm doing. You can't do that with acting. You've got to know what you're doing. And the rhythm of what you do affects everything that happens in the scene. And had I had some training, I would have been fine. I don't have that training. So outside of just very lackadaisical type character being Mick or something, but that's not what I... My aspiration would have been to to have really studied acting and, and, and taken it seriously. Sadly, never to be, I don't think. If you can be really good at one thing, what you've done, that's... Uh, I'm says happy, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy. The one thing that if I could, I would change about myself. I, I would... Hmm. Anything, right? Hmm. Change about myself. But I'm perfect. No. <laughs> uh, there has to be something. Um... Well, I I don't think it's really what you're wanting me to say, maybe, but I I wish that I had allowed... I wish that I had not this dyslexic sort of approach to learning things, because once I know something, I'm really good at expressing what it is, but I'm denied so much in not being able to retain information and then go on a platform and speak. I'm mean, really interested in politics. And I'm, I think, pretty reasonably bright about opinions and what it is and what really matters and all that stuff. But I don't remember names, facts, places enough to be able to get on a podium and say, hey, listen to what I'm going to tell you. So I have to talk in general, as you've realized. I talk in very general terms, often about a lot of things. If I had been somehow connected with someone who could have taken me as a young child and stopped whatever that part of my brain that never developed through the dyslexia which I think is part of what is my problem I would love to have changed that and I think it would have taken me into a whole another use of I'm good with people and I know I could be a lot better if I had some more academic uh, grounding and I don't so I have to sort of get by uh, intellectually which is, is sometimes a frustration for me compose your own epitaph Mick uh, Mick Fleetwood the man who blank <laughs> it's not how I, I would be remembered it's literally something what yeah, would be it, written on his gravestone it almost would be how, how you would like to be remembered like to be remembered that I was a kind human being and I try to be the man who remembered to be kind <laughs> and forgiving, you know. You cannot live this life without being full of forgiveness and not enough people know how to forgive themselves, let alone other people. And, and it's, it's such a simple thing. And if you genuinely do it and don't just feign it, there, there are, I believe, really wonderful ways of throwing off these bits of dead weight that you carry around and the clatter inside you that as the Buddhists would say just get rid of all the clatter and then you have so much more clarity because there's always more clatter to put in there and then you have to get rid of it I'm not saying you're going to be you know absolved of of everything but uh, I think through all of the, the really crazy parts of my life and there have been just that my weird somewhat natural ability to sort of do that as a person I think has been my saviour 
because some of the stuff that happened to me that I caused and maybe would be done unto the, yourself by other people or circumstance, people harbor way too much of that. And the world owes me a living. If I had this person hadn't done this, I wouldn't be in the shit and I wouldn't be this. I wouldn't. Be. You can't live like that. You know, it, it, it can be in the moment, assess it and take responsibility and truly try and move on. Or be buried by it. And or you will miserable. be buried by it. You will be. Or you'll be so exhausted pretending that it hasn't happened to you because you haven't faced it. The Records and Rockstars radio podcast is available every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your streaming audio so you never miss an episode. Rate and review to help us spread the word. All this and more at jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.